Hi, this is Dayton Ward, and you're listening to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The show that reminds you that commas aren't just a good idea, but an acceptable way to delay the inevitable. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 1701. He'll know that when he joins the Enterprise crew in the search for the Gorn, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his tricorder. All right, so our guest today is a New York Times bestselling author who has been here before, uh, but you'll know him for putting words into the mouths of Captain James T. Kirk, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, and not to mention that he has written the most amazing book of self-defense ever. That's right, the Kirk Fu Manual. You guys are going to want to check that out. That's an amazing book. It's a lot of fun to read. Uh, but he has also written not only for Star Trek universes, but the worlds of Jurassic Park and several others. He is, of course, the one, the only, the amazing Dayton Ward. Welcome to the show, Dayton. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you I should say welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah, it's been a while. Welcome, but also welcome back because it's a new show, but it's the same show. But we rebranded, so it's new, but it's not. It's new to you. It's same. like a doctor regeneration. It's still okay. the same show. It's just got a different face. And I don't same remember thing. when I was here because of pandemic-induced time <laughs> dilation. I don't remember when I was here. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit over. It's been about a year, almost a year and a half. Because uh, really five years in COVID time. So, right. Okay. All right, good. <laughs> For sure. I've, Unfortunately, you're not wrong. So the last time you're here, uh, Tom Brady had just signed with the Tampa. We're going to start right <laughs> off with football. Wow. Uh, get that right. right out of the way. We're going to get this right out of the way. Tom Brady had just signed with your beloved Buccaneers, uh, brought Gronk and all the Brinks trucks with them down to Tampa. Uh, but since that time, Tampa has won a Super Bowl and nearly made a return trip had it not been for one of the craziest three minutes in football I think that I've ever seen in my life. Then you have Bruce Arians step down. Uh, you've got Brady retires, but then he comes back talking and now talking about his post-football life all over again. So what's life like for a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan these days? How are you guys holding up down there with all the, the changes and, and everything that's going on? Well, don't forget, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan trapped behind enemy lines in Kansas City Chiefs territory. I've been here oh, that's right. for yeah. a lot of years. So, you know, to, to just hit on the high points first, it was interesting because I wasn't sure about Brady coming to the Bucs. Obviously, I was proven wrong. Um, it was a fun time to be a Bucs fan in Kansas City that year, as you <laughs> might imagine. Uh, I did not talk trash when the Chiefs and the Bucks were both going to face off in the Super Bowl. I kept my I kept my keel even for two whole weeks, and then right about the second quarter of the game, I started to gloat just a little bit. <laughs> it's like this could actually Fair go enough. my way. And then, of course, the couple of weeks after the game, I was having a good time with all my Chiefs friends. So yeah, it was fun. And as far as last year with the return trip, that whole weekend, all four of the games that weekend were insane because it all came down to game-winning scores at the end of, the, of each contest. Right. And all, the, all but one of the home teams lost. I mean, it was an insane weekend. So uh, it was fun. I mean, as far as Brady, I mean, it's like Schrodinger's quarterback. Am I retired? Am I not required? I'm retired, <laughs> but I'm not retired. I mean, I'll, when he suits up for the first game, that's when I'll know for sure. Fair enough. Was it in the playoffs or was it the last game of the season that Antonio Brown did his shirtless walk through the end zone? I think it was during the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think so too, wasn't it? I can't remember that far back now, but yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, it was because it was an away game for them. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's been a, it's remember. been an interesting season for for the Buccaneers this last year, but I'm no according to reports that I read, Brady started his training regimen you know, his off season training regimen and he went back to work and he's doing whatever he does leading up to, you know, this summer when they go to training camp and all that kind of stuff. So as things stand now at four Oh seven central time on this date, he's still in we'll see what happens. <laughs> Tomorrow Fair enough. Well, uh, considering that the last time we had talked, uh, you, you know, you guys were just getting all the signings done and he hadn't quite reported yet down there and everything. So congrats on, on the Super Bowl win and the, uh, the near return trip. So uh, hopefully you guys, I would like to see you guys win one more personally. Uh, it's going to be forever in three days before Detroit does, but I don't need to see him go every year. I just like to see him competitive. I mean, I, I like the fact that they're in it. In the, win, right. in the contest, you know, not getting eliminated like by week five. <laughs> it's like it's like being a Royals fan. Oh, so the, the Lions experience. Yeah. Yeah. OK, I get it. Oh, goodness. So I am totally out of my playing field here, although at least I can make football terms and field. There we go. That, that's all I got today. That's OK. That's all right. <laughs> it's all kinds. My, Kathleen does not uh, does not discuss the sports ball very much. I understand. So. I'm, I'm married one. to yeah. I'm fortunate to be married to one of the seven or eight women in the entire world who loves football. There you go. It's one of the things that like, I don't dislike it, but I'd rather go to a hockey game when it's not hockey season. I'd rather go to a baseball game. Fair enough. That's about it. Fair enough. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But what is my playing field is Star Trek. So we grew up, I grew up (laughs) watching Deep Space Nine and it was my first real foray into the Trek universe followed with Voyager and Janeway and I have a shared love of coffee because I'm a mom of a three-year-old. There needs to be like a constant supply of coffee over here for me to mm-hmm. function. So if you had the privilege to introduce someone to Star Trek for the first time ever, where would you start? There's two different answers. Okay. There's me, the hardcore fan. And by the way, I got to have a moment here while I process the whole, I watched DS9 while I was growing up. Cause that just makes me feel old. I have that effect on people. My, my favorite is the original show. That's the one that I grew up with. It was already in reruns when I, when I was aware of it. Um, I was born while the show was still on the air, and, but I didn't understand it or I didn't start following it until it was in the reruns in the 70s. That's one entry point. But, you know, there's so much Star Trek right now. And there are five different shows right now on Paramount Plus that are in production in one sort or another. And they're all different from each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you wanted, if you want something that's like the original show, but with a modern twist, then I, you know, Strange New Worlds is probably where I would point you because you don't necessarily have to be too embedded in the lore to watch that one. And if you have young children who are trying to figure out if you want to get them into Star Trek, Prodigy is a perfect um, on ramp for anybody because the characters in that first season learn all about the Star Trek stuff and the Starfleet stuff as they come out together and figure out how to work together. So, but I mean, so those are, those are the two different answers that I would provide. I had to double check. I am older than DS9, but only by a year. <laughs> it, it started airing in 93. So yep. two years before I graduated high school. So yeah, I, I feel old every time she talks. So <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. I'm she gonna, reminds me, she reminds me often that I'm old. I'm going to just live in my youth until it disintegrates around me though. That's kind of how I'm, I've, I've settled into that, uh, that, that type of existence. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to keep enjoying all this stuff. Like I'm a big kid. Yeah. There you go. And I feel, I feel too, with having a kid that there are all of these things that I enjoyed as a kid that now my daughter's like, Hey mom, do you want to play Barbies with me? I'm like, yes. 
yes, I do. 100%. Yes, I do. And I will sit on the floor and play Barbies with her. And my husband will walk by and do the, so which one of you is writing the story this time? Mm-mm. How old are your oh, kids? She's three. Three. I just okay. have one. That's a fun age. It um, is. It I is had my really kids that age. way. I introduced, I introduced my kids to different things. I tried to different things and certain th- like Star Trek. They like the newer movies and they like, they like a couple of the newer shows, but they weren't so big on some of the older stuff, but they love Star Wars. And one kid, you know, loves scary movies. The other kid loves anime and, ma- and manga. So they have their own geeky things that they're, they're on about. So, yeah, I, I mean, I at least planted the flag somewhere, like, you know, go right. find whatever it is that, that works with you and then go, but we, you know, we still go to movies and we, we do all the geeky stuff. They come with me to certain conventions and, you know, to hang out or help out, but they also like to just wander the floor and take in the whole con experience. So, which is, maybe, yeah. it's a blast. I love cons. My daughter is currently at the Lego Star Wars is her favorite Star Wars. She doesn't want to watch anything other than Lego Star Wars, which is fine. I'm good with that. It is mm-hmm. it is an introduction to Star Wars. She's got a rude awakening coming for her when she realizes some of the story elements that they changed. But yeah, uh, your answer actually to Kathleen's last question actually leads in perfectly to what I was going to ask next, uh, because now the last time you were here, I had poo pooed the idea. And I'll say just put that nicely uh, about ever watching anything Trek related, because I really w- grew up. I, n- I never really was any into anything Trek. I was firmly had planted my flag in the Star Wars camp, all Star Wars all the time. Now, over the last year, since you and I have talked, I've, of course, I read your book and I did enjoy that. And I went, well, if I like that, there's probably something else. And then there was the JJ, what I call the JJ Trek movies, yeah. um, which I enjoyed as well over the last couple of years. And admittedly, probably because those were most like Star Wars than, than other things. But over the last year, I have started to traverse a little more into the Trek side of things. I will admit that Prodigy was my gateway. That was how I got in. And I was like, because, uh, you know, I love the Star Wars animated series, like the Clone Wars and Rebels and Bad Batch, things like that. And I thought, well, if I love those, maybe there's a chance I'll really enjoy this, which I did. I thought the storyline in Prodigy was really very good. And I have found myself every week waiting for Strange New Worlds to come out because I have enjoyed the previous episodes and I'm finding myself going, man, this is really good. So I told you all that, not uh, just so that you could be proud of me for broadening my sci-fi horizons, but also because I noticed that there was a, there's some other things that I'm missing in the, the sci-fi spectrum of things. And I noticed that because of one of the things I found on your website, which was a blog, uh, which I didn't really, apparently you had this the last time you're on, but I never realized that you had a blog. So there we go. But I noticed that you have something called Tuesday or you have Tuesday trekking posts. Yeah. Or trekking Tuesdays or, or something Tuesday along trekking. those lines. Yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday trekking. trekking. Okay. Thank you. But you talk about a wide spectrum of different things that are, are trek related on those each Tuesday and, and everything else. So how can trekking Tuesdays help a guy like me or other people who are looking to expand their sci-fi horizons to look more to, towards Star Trek? Well, the Tuesday trekking is primarily a nostalgia trip for me. Um, it lets me revisit some older aspect of Trek fandom, something from earlier on, either earlier adulthood or childhood. So, you know, I talk about old merchandise or old con experiences or the thrill of being at opening night on a particular movie or something like that. So I don't, I don't know if that's a good gateway for new people, but at least maybe they're 
they at least see that this is, you know, this animal's been around for a while and it's got different flavors and there's probably sure, something sure. around for everybody if you look hard enough. This, and then I, you know, I, but I, I wax philosophic and nostalgic about various nerdy things on that blog. Um, I, not just Trek, but other, other stuff too. Other types of like older books and older storylines, older films. You know, I try to give proper retrospectives when an anniversary of a favorite film comes around, that kind of thing. Mostly so I can tell my kids, look, there were movies before you were born, and some of them were really good, you know, that kind of thing. Same thing with younger people. There were movies before 19, you know, 99, and some of them were really, really good. Some of them were even black and white. I know the horror. Oh. But, Did um, they not know how to use color? Yeah, I've had that conversation. <laughs> we actually had a, a, a conversation recently. We were watching an episode of Animaniacs, and there was a black and white scene. My daughter's like, did they forget to color this part? I've I've had I've managed to rope one kid in uh, because, like I said, she's the one who likes the scary movies. So, so for example, she loves the original Alien and Aliens. And when she when we watched that and she decided she was a fan of that, um, I said, well, you know, it was inspired by this black and white movie from the 50s. And she kind of wrinkled her nose at first, you know, black and white 50s. Oh, my God. That's you know, it's like, did they carve it out of a stone tablet? What is this? Um, so I showed her it, the terror from beyond space, which is this B movie from, you know, it's a black and white from the late fifties. And, but the storyline is very similar to alien with the crew trapped on board the ship and the alien running around below decks and all that kind of thing. So that was her first foray into a black and white film and she actually didn't hate it. So there's hope for the younger generation. The reason I asked you about the Tuesday Trek and stuff is because now personally, I like reading about people who, you know, like articles, like what you write, you said, you know, it's your memories of this, your memories of that, because for me, that's perspective changing. So like, in, in for instance, for me, like I, I'll read something that somebody wrote about, you know, going to Star Wars on, you know, in 1977, when it first came out and, you know, how, what that experience was like and, or, you know, how their experience changed over the years with this movie release or that show release or, or vice versa. And so for me, looking at your posts, things like that, I find it to be, you know, perspective shaping and changing for me because it helps me to see, you know, the the show or the movie or something from somebody else's viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And it helps me to to kind of alter my view and appreciate something else from somebody else's viewpoint. Well, I appreciate that. And I don't come at it from, you know, the the position of, well, in the old days, things were better. You know, that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, like, for example, when I, I wrote an article once about watching reruns of the original Star Trek back when I was a kid, when it was usually a black and white TV and rabbit ear antennas. And, you know, depending on where I was, I might not be able to get a good signal. So I might have to, like, stand on one foot and pray for sound or picture, maybe not both, depending on the atmosphere or the weather that day. You know, that's how that's how crazy it was versus today when I literally have everything I want in my pocket. You know, right touch an app and I could launch any episode of any Trek on demand. So, you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. given the cho- choice between the two, I mean, back in the day, if you missed your favorite Star Trek episode, you had to wait for the channel to run the entire run of the show and circle back to the one that you liked. So, and it just seemed like every time I turned on the channel, it was always the, the, the Savage Curtain, you know, the one where Kirk fights uh, Klingon on the rock planet. Mm. Or the the you know the volcano the lava planet. It's like every time I turned it on, no matter when I did it, it seemed like it was always <laughs> that one. Versus today, when it's you know literally in the palm of your hand. So that's a nice advance. But I mean, some of the stuff that we did, like the books we read and the comics we read, those were the substance. You know, there was no home video streaming on demand video. It was your brain and what you could visualize by reading the novelization of the film 
or you know that kind of thing or a photo novel if you even remember what those are mm-hmm. uh, which is that's how we enjoyed that stuff back in the day before all this that we have at our fingertips now i don't necessarily call those days better you know they were i finally remember them because that's how hard you had to work to be a fan back in those days sure you know versus today where it's pretty much all delivered uh you know uber uber trek or whatever uber yeah. tracks uber eats but um it's like I tell my kid, I'd love the idea that you don't have to carry seven, you know, 10 pound textbooks in your backpack to school. Everything's on your, on your Chromebook or your pad, your iPad. Right. So I would have killed for that back yeah. in the 80s. Right. So. Have to have Google at your fingertips to answer any, any, you know, fandom question or, you know, discrepancy. I do Go back not miss and... the days of 20 pound backpacks. Yeah. So when I write those kinds of articles, it's not to be, you know, my fandom is better than your fandom. It's like every, every fandom, everybody starts somewhere. Every, every Trek is somebody else's first and there's no one way to do this. So I prefer the inclusion uh, aspect of the Trek fandom. I agree. And I, and honestly, I look at those, at those uh, blog entries more as like a, like a Sherpa, you know, here you are, you're, you're kind of guiding some of us who, who haven't been, you know, or, or still making our way up track mountain here, uh, you know, and, and you're kind of highlighting a few things. And so for me, that's how I view it. And it kind of helps me visualize a few things and maybe a few things that I can look out for uh, during my trek journey. So I mean, don't get me wrong. If you find your way to the original show, for example, because of something I wrote and you get sucked, you get sucked into that and you become one of them brainwashed masses of people who love the original star trek then i win so you know i can play that game i can play the long game though <laughs> the long game is a good game so going from star trek to a topic that all of us can actually agree on food okay Everybody I was loves say. Food. <laughs> that I, I find the food is the universal topic that at least we all know that we have to eat what we eat is different stories but we can all agree that we have to eat and most people like dinosaurs if they're fun um the, the people who don't like dinosaurs, I don't usually talk to. So seeing... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's true. I am also of the... I, I don't know why people stopped asking what your favorite dinosaur was when you get to a certain age, because... I know, it's like they don't even care. I mean, what's right? that about? I'm almost 30. I want to tell people that my favorite dinosaur is the Parasaurophilus. Leave you know me alone. You know what's also... But you know, here's the thing. You know, what's really cool about being an adult is you can eat a birthday cake anytime you want. That's you can true. go buy one. They don't even ask you why. They just but, let yeah. you. So there's, you there are cake. pluses and minuses. There are. There are. But seeing the Jurassic World, the official cookbook on your website, definitely grabbed my attention. Tell me about your cookbook. What sets it apart from others that I probably already have on my shelf? Well, I'll tell you... It, I didn't expect that project to come my way. Uh, I was I was surprised when an editor at that publisher, Inside Editions, approached me about my interest in contributing to this book. Um, I did not write the recipes. I did not write anything about the preparation of the recipe. I just wrote everything else. So all about the dinosaurs and all about the history of the cloning and Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. And it's all written in universe. So the idea is that if you were visiting Jurassic World, the actual resort, where they have the dinosaur shows like they show in the first Jurassic mm-hmm. World movie. This is something that you might buy in one of their gift shops. So it's all written from that perspective before the eating and the carnage and the killing starts, obviously. Sure. Um, I the, 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 the publisher that I work with is the same one who I did the Kirk Fu book with. And I also did a couple of Star Trek travel guides where I essentially wrote an actual travel guide that if you were in the Star Trek universe, you buy this before you go on vacation to Vulcan or something. So they were looking for somebody who they said could write in a strong in-world voice and somebody dropped my name. So that's how I had that conversation. 
Um, I'm a fan of the Jurassic movies, so this was an easy yes. Um, it just required me to do some research about what they wanted me to use for information, mm -hmm. but also supplement it with real world information about dinosaurs and the Costa Rican region and all that kind of thing. Um, it was a fun little experience. Uh, the, the recipes are all real. They're all easily made with items you can obtain without too much trouble. And a couple of them have been tested and they're pretty delicious. But I'm, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm not the best person to, to be a judge for elegant or exquisite dishes. I'm a pretty, pretty, pretty boring eater when it comes to <laughs> stuff. Well, I, I'm over here looking at it with the, man, I would make that. I would make that. That looks delicious. The person, yeah, the person they brought in, Elena Craig. She's she's a she's a chef and a food stylist, and she's done that. Uh, she's worked on a couple of other of these pop culture books. I think she did one for Gilmore Girls and another franchise that escapes me because apparently I, you know, franchise themed cookbooks are a big thing right now. Oh, I, I'm and seeing it a like bunch every of major them. IP has one. I I had never, like I said, my my. I did help out in terms of trying to come up with names for the recipes or how to describe the ingredients or how they're sourced and that kind of thing. But um, it was all Elena as far as the recipes are. So, and she created them all, all 50, I think it's 53 was the final tally. Because here's the thing, I wrote this book two years ago. Uh, I wrote okay. it in the summer of 2020 and it was supposed to come out last year when the film was supposed to originally come out. And then they pushed the new film back to this year. So my publisher repositioned the book to go off the energy of the new film. So, uh, yeah, so I've forgotten a lot of the details, but um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was fun working with Elena. She knows her stuff and we yeah. had a lot of great conversations about, well, we could do this and we can do this. And I can, I can add in what I wrote was called flavor text. So all the, all the in world stuff. So, but I did also help set up the different sections in the, in the cookbook and, the, and introduce the different recipes and where they get the ingredients and that kind of thing. So we worked pretty close together. But if you like the book and if you like the recipes and it actually comes out tasting good, that's all Elena. I am definitely adding it to my cart. I love themed cookbooks. Um, a friend of ours actually got us the Skyrim uh, cookbook. Mm -hmm. And that is some of the most delicious food I've ever made. <laughs> when I um when I got the when I got asked about the job, the the first thing I did was go out to Amazon and look at which ones were out there and specifically which ones inside editions had published. So I I bought copies of the Star Wars, you know, the Galaxy's Edge, mm -hmm. you know, the, the 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 Black Spire Outpost cookbook, you know, as the, as you see at Disney World and Disneyland. And I also bought one based on The Walking Dead because I couldn't resist it. It seemed to me like, okay, 50 variations of crock pot cooking or, you know, right. pot cooking over a There's fire. There's got to be a chocolate pudding recipe in there somewhere, yeah, at least something that involves. You know, a Dutch oven cooking with charcoal or something. So, um, huh. but that was my guide was the Star Wars one in terms of trying to set it in universe and make yeah. it feel like something you would find in the world. It was a lot of fun. And then I ended up sending all that to my sister, who's a huge cook and loves cookbooks and has this newfound love of franchise cookbooks. The franchise cookbooks seem to be a very popular thing. I'm, I mean, I'm just literally scrolling down suggested cookbooks on Amazon and there's the Jurassic World, Jurassic mm -hmm. Park, Halo, the unofficial Disney Parks cookbook. Um, the Galaxy's Edge. There's an Avatar cookbook, um, like Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh, okay. I was gonna say Avatar. I'm sure there'll be one for Avatar. Oh, I'm soon. sure. So the Nightmare Before Christmas, the official entertainment guide. Like, <laughs> I think there's a Ghostbusters cookbook and an Alien cookbook, and I mean, Inside has I, I don't know at least a few dozen of them by now. There's one that got my attention though that now I need to find it. 
it showed up and then it vanished on me. There's apparently a Deadpool cookbook. Marvel Comics. It's just chimichangas. It's just all chimichangas. Right? That's say, what I'm thinking. I'm is, say, I'm like, if there's not a recipe for chimichangas, it's not How many Ryan. different versions of chimichangas do we have on here? There's an entire section called What the People Really Want, starting with your basic chimmy, skills on rolling a chimmy, the steak and fajita chimmy, breakfast chimmy, a dessert chimmy. <laughs> There's an entire chunk of chimichangas. I'm also oh, adding this be. one to my cart. Yeah, there had to be. My husband's going to open the Amazon cart and be like, why are there three cookbooks? I'm the same way with bartending guides and cocktail guides. So I'll, I'll buy I'll buy the odd one if it, if it pops up and like looks, yeah. makes me laugh or something. And I, I do I do that with Funko Pops. Totally we, different. We couldn't t- couldn't tell. <laughs> Slight no, the, addiction. But, the, yeah. the Skyrim one though really started my love of the franchised cookbooks. Because like anybody who's played Skyrim, and you walk through and you're like looking at these this Nordic food. Those are some hefty recipes. I mean, I knew they were a thing. It's not like I'm I was ignorant of of the phenomenon. I just I did not expect to ever write one or contribute to one. Uh, sure. It wasn't something that I thought would be in my wheelhouse, but one of the things you learn about when you're a freelance writer is everything's in your wheelhouse potentially because exactly. <laughs> you got to eat. So right. My kids like to eat. They like to eat a lot. I don't understand. That wasn't in the brochure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that weren't in the manuals. All right. So Dayton, one of the things that I have appreciated about talking with you and listening to other interviews that you've done is that you're able to both enjoy the serious and the silly, along with the absurd. Um, And I think that kind of flavors some of the work that you do. But how does that approach affect your writing and help lead you into projects like the Kirk Fu Manual and Jurassic World cookbooks? Well, I'd like to think that I take the work itself seriously, uh, regardless of the tone or the type of project we're talking about. But I, I don't take myself that seriously (laughs) so i think that helps uh i'm not afraid to poke fun at myself i'm not afraid to poke fun at the fact that i'm a nerd when it comes to all this stuff that i've surrounded myself with and 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 immersed myself in i like to have fun i'd rather make people laugh than make them angry so that's usually the thrust of my social media platform so i'm the one who will put up the silly trek meme i'm the one who will put up the silly you know movie joke or whatever i or the dad joke i have no problem with that um i i I, I know that the folks who, that I work for at Paramount roll their eyes sometimes when I get into that mode, but they've tolerated my antics for this long. I think I'm okay. I think I know where the line is on what I can't step over. There you go. Um, but I'm definitely, uh, I definitely like to have f- fun, and not to say that other folks who do this don't do that. I mean, but that's my personal philosophy. I like to have some fun, take the work seriously, but not myself seriously, uh, and make people laugh if you can. So that's why this, the Kirk Fu book was really kind of a a half joking pitch. I mean, I wasn't completely serious. I just was pitching right. ideas at my editor and he said, well, that sounds interesting. Let's go with that. And I, you know, I even, I, I sent him like a one page document on what I thought I might do with this. And it was a wild hair that I had one evening and I, cause we were working together on a, on a different project. Uh, I sent him this idea kind of half baked. I'm like, I wonder how I'll go for this. And I even, you know, I, I screen capped a couple of Kirk's moves from the show and I threw it into the document. I'm like, here it is. And it, it, a half hour later, he's like, I love this idea. You know, and, <laughs> And it took a while for the planets to align so that I could actually write it. But, um, you know, they were always for it because they had just done another Trek humor book uh, that came out the same time as one of the travel guides. It was like the Red Shirts Book of Doom. And it was a funny look at the Enterprise security guards, you know, from the original show Mm -hmm. written by my friend Rob Perlman. And I guess 
that book kind of started out sluggish on sales, but then hung around and built up a momentum and became a good hot seller. You know, later it didn't, it didn't hit hot out of the gate. It kind of marinated a little bit out there. And then all of a sudden people started buying it and talking about it. So then they came back to me and said, okay, the Kirk food book, we're on six or eight months later after I moved on to something else. And it was another one of those projects that I wrote it. And then it languished for over a year because I had written it before they'd even found an artist. Uh, I wrote my manuscript and everything. And then it just kind of languished between a couple of different editors. And then finally somebody picked it up and they got an artist and off we went. So but by then I'd moved on to like two or three other things because that's what you do when you're freelancing. It's like, okay, that one's done, move on to the next one. And then I'll pick up the edits or the revisions on that one when it circles back around to me in a few months. Sure. So there's, it's always a cyclical thing and you're never working on one thing when you're a freelancer, you're working on four or five in different periods, you know, different stages of gestation. That's how I keep my humor because it's, it's an insane way to earn a living. And it's hard to explain to functioning adults what I do. <laughs> I see that. Well, as a non-functional adult, I understand. So it makes sense to me. <laughs> there are functioning adults. Like you work on what now? And you're like, do you write for the show? No, I don't write for the show. But I read the stuff that the show writes and then I comment on it. And I send it back. And, but you're on the show. No, I'm not on the show. I don't have any input to the show other than they ask me to read the scripts and maybe offer notes about canon and continuity but that they may or may not take. But that's my involvement. That's, that's the limit of my involvement on any of the shows. I have a consulting role that I do with the consumer product side at Paramount, where I look at stuff and try to figure out how to develop Star Trek projects, like books and comics and games and things. That's cool. Among other, among other things. Basically, I do whatever they ask me to do. That's kind of what it boils down to. <laughs> that so, sounds like a safe a safe approach, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, when you look at, you go to, you know, you, you talk to grownups at parties and they're like, you know, yeah, we're, a, I, used, I mean, I used to be a developer. I used to have a grown-up job, but I wasn't happy in it. That's what the Star Trek and the writing was for, was to, to, to be a counterpoint to the boring corporate job that I used to have. And then I left the corporate job. Now I just do this all the time. Fair enough. So with the doing everything, with the freelancing and writing what they want you to write, you also were a contributor for the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game. Yes, I was. Is that something that was just another, they wanted you to work on it? Or are you a role-player yourself? I used to be a, a role player back in the day. I mean, when I was a kid and a young adult, I played all kinds of role playing games and tabletop war games. Um, I had not been involved in any kind of gaming like that for, for many years, but a friend of mine, Jim Johnson is at the time was a freelance editor for the company Modifius, who was developing the Star Trek adventures role playing game. And he and I had known each other for years and he asked me if I was interested in contributing material. And this is very early on, like this was, they hadn't released anything yet. And uh, another friend of ours, a mutual friend and another writer, Scott Pearson and I got together and we developed a storyline that became the basis of what the game people were calling their living campaign, which was an ongoing campaign scenario that they were using as sort of a test bed to give the, the rules that they had created a run mm -hmm. for their money. And then, you know, they get feedback from the players and they'd go back and they'd revise the rules and they'd revise various aspects of the game mechanics. And then after the thing had been running for a year, they launched, they started launching the product, like the core rule book and the expansions and the campaign settings and the, and the guides to different areas and different species. My involvement was done, I thought, at that point. And then, you know, a couple of years later, Jim writes me back and says, hey, we're developing a rule book for the Klingons, basically a Klingon version of the game, core rule book for the Klingon side of things. Would you feel like contributing to that? 
And I said, sure, that sounds like fun. And then also what they were doing was they were, they took all the material that had been developed for what they called the living campaign and they turned it into its own campaign sandbox book called the Shackleton Expanse, which is what we had called it way back when. So I wrote a lot of material for that to go into the book that came out just last year. So it's been what off and on for about the last five or six years. I, I yeah. keep getting pulled back into Star Trek adventures. It's a lot of fun. I like having my fingers in all the different Star Trek things. Have you That's awesome. tried introducing your kids to any role-playing games? Not role-playing games, but we have done some tabletop games and some dice games and card games and things like that. I don't, they're not, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they, I don't know if they're ready for a role-playing game yet, <laughs> but I was about that age. So maybe it might be time. We'll see. Maybe it's fine. What's that? I said, I just got started with it. I'm you 45. Did. So yeah, I I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see if they'll come out with a, they were talking about coming out with a simplified version of the rules for the game, mm-hmm. like easier setup and character generation and things like that. I don't know if that's a thing or if it's already been a thing and I missed it. I don't remember, but I thought that might be a good way to ease them into the, to the game without, in, you know, inundating them with a 500 page book or whatever. That, right. That right. And that is the the fun thing with the, like Tim just said, he, he just started playing an RPG last month. Like we live streamed, my very first, we live streamed his very first nice. session. It was great. And I, it's a the Star Wars RPG, so it's the Saga Edition Star Wars RPG, and it's it's a lot of fun. But I asked my husband about something for my character, and he's like, "Oh, I have to go get it out of the other book." And I'm like, "Okay." And he comes back with a stack of eight books, and I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, good gravy, dude!" Like that I was can't. after we had already all been Google Drived the the like 500 page basic rules, and I'm like, "This is oh, you mean yeah." The, the thing that I didn't read. Yeah, I understand. Uh, <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I didn't read it either. I, I scrolled through a couple pages. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm reminded there is a starter set for the Modiphius role-playing game. It, it's a box set that has everything you need to get going without all the, oh, the books. So I, yeah, I do have that. So maybe it might be time. I was never a Dungeons and Dragons guy, but Dungeons and Dragons was a huge thing when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I tried it, but I was, I've always been more science fiction than fantasy. Right. So that one didn't really go for me. But at the same time, the company that was making Dungeons and Dragons made a sci-fi game called Star Frontiers, mm-hmm. which is kind of like space opera. And it was not quite Star Trek, but uh, it, that was enough to get me going. And then FASA, the game company, came out with their version of a Star Trek RPG back in the early 80s. So I tried, I, we played that for a while. In fact, I still have all the source books and stuff for that one. And then I think there's been... There were two or three other RPGs that Star Trek had from different companies over the intervening years before Modiphius took over. So, I mean, I tried them, but I kept going back to the FASA rules mm-hmm. and the FASA way of doing things. And then, but then Modiphius, I haven't actually had a chance to play this game. Um, one of these days, I'll get myself into a campaign and see what happens. Yeah. Sounds Perfect. like you've got at least part of your, your summer vacation with your kids planned. Yeah. Some of it. Some of it. <laughs> some of it. <laughs> Introduce them to the whatever, ways of the yeah. role-playing. And then, you know, I also played a lot of tabletop games like uh, Axis and Allies and mm-hmm. Diplomacy oh, yeah. and Risk and those kind of the Game Master series for, you know, uh, Shogun and that kind of thing. Those were big when I was overseas because uh, we didn't have any money. We were broken and, and single living in the barracks. So, you know, we bought cheap beer and then played games all weekend uh, when we weren't. Fair enough. And, well, I mean, it was better than being out in town getting in trouble. Well, so that's true. Yeah, they have money to do that. So um yeah it was a lot of fun and i mean i tried my hand at playing um tabletop war games like uh battle tech and warhammer 40k which mm-hmm. were just getting those two are getting going in the 80s and then um 
I tried my hand at Starfleet Battles, which is basically Star Trek's version of a tabletop war game. And a friend of mine tried to introduce me that on a Saturday because there was a club on the base that did games. And I think we spent four hours just setting up the game before somebody actually made a move. Mm. <laughs> I said, okay, that's it. That's four hours. I don't get back. I should be out at the beach. So I'm going to the right. beach. And there was a there was a joke I saw on the internet not, not that long ago that actually I agreed with that if you get your kids hooked on RPGs, they won't have money to go and do stupid things. Seems fair. <laughs> and start buying like minifigures for Warhammer 40k. They're not I gonna have money to do anything else with. I bought a few because that's all it was basically. It was one rule book at the time and a whole bunch of figures. And mm-hmm. You could buy figures that were already painted. You could buy figures that were assembled but not painted. And then they had these kits where you could basically kit bash your own figures, you know, with the armor and the helmets mm-hmm. and the weapons and everything else, and then paint them. Um, that was I, I. I spent some time doing that. Yeah, Many figures is fun. I actually for the the Star Star Wars RPG, my husband bought minifigures for our characters, but one of our characters is Thorin. Yeah. Yeah. And his complaint was that his character didn't have a hat. His character, <laughs> his character in our game is wearing a sun hat. So I made one out of construction paper and hot glue <laughs> and sent a picture to our group chat with the, he's got a hat now. That's pretty funny. He's like, wait, did you really just make that? I'm like, yes. Yes, I did. I just made yes. a hat for a minifigure out of hot glue. It worked. It looks like a little straw-brimmed hat now. It's great. There you go. All right, Dayton, we have one final question for you. And as a returning guest, instead of a quiz, we will run you, we have this instead. A silly question. You can answer this as silly or as serious as you like. I'm not sure it gets any sillier than the rest of our conversations. but Probably <laughs> not, no. So you had a blog post a while back about Zoom backgrounds. <laughs> and posted during the height of the pandemic, sharing some of your favorites. So... Dayton Ward, what's your favorite Zoom background now? Right now, my favorite, I mean, I, I waffle. I have different ones. Um, I, I try to theme my background depending on what meeting I'm taking that day. So if it's, a, if it's a meeting with the Prodigy people, I'll put a Prodigy background. Or if it's the comics people, I'll put one up like that. But I, I mean, I love old stuff. So I, I have a Max Headroom background with just the, the wavy lines. That oh, that's awesome. Line. So that's one of my favorites. And then I have a Matrix background with the with the rainfall okay. software those are my two favorites but then also the one i got now because you know it's a bar and so all right cerritos bar so yep i'm just in somebody's random living room i don't know yep (laughs) i mean because the thing is the my office is set up in such a way that there's just no good place for me to sit where i don't have glare from a light or a window or there's too much crap behind me on the wall or you know whatever so i just opt for the virtual background so this has been mine as of if I do have to run one, it's the inside of the destroyed, you know, Death Star. But <laughs> nine times out of 10, I'm not using a, a virtual background and I just have my actual office. So sure. as ridiculous I mean, I'll change it up. I mean, if, if I know that if I know I'm going into somebody like, you know, with, that's a big football fan and, and their team is a rival of the Bucks, I'll put up a Bucks back flag behind me, that kind of thing. So I can I'll dig it. it. So, yep. I don't know we'll why the steampunk My Little Pony one is as amusing to me as it is, but it is. <laughs> it is. It's it's in my list between that one and this one. <laughs> oh yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because <laughs> that's just how we all feel right there now. There are days it? when that uh, there are days when that is so appropriate. 
Oh, yes. yes I mean, I've tried to do stuff like The Office. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have that one as well. I'm not an office. I mean, I, I love it for the, just the goof of it. And then uh, I will play around, you know, strategy. <laughs> so I kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love yep. it. Uh, let's see. What's another one here? They're just fun. Some of these are deep pulls, like, uh, you know, the thing. <laughs> so, oh, cool. Kind of think, so, you know, and then I was, you know, I want to get away from it all. People bother me. So I'm just going to the moon. That kind mm. of thing. So, and then I'll have other things just, just to depend. It depends. Like I said, it depends on the audience. So I do have a lot of Star Trek meetings. So I have a lot of different Star Trek backgrounds. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, Dayton, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Where can people go to find more about your work and what you've got coming? You can find me at DaytonWard.com. And that is basically a launching pad or landing pad that will let you find my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram, all of which are very unimaginatively named Dayton, some variation of Dayton Ward. Um, my blog is there and you can find things like my page at StarTrek.com where all the articles I've written. So if, basically, if I've written it, there's a link to it somewhere on that blog. Uh, I call it my gateway to internet banality. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link your website so that they can find you, that they can go down the rabbit hole. It is Dayton Ward. And we want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Dayton Ward here and have these great conversations for you to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us more than we can really ever say. And please go to DaytonWard.com. Check out the rest of Dayton's work and be sure to check out his new Jurassic World cookbook as well. Now, if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, the Gorn. Immune only to the two-hand chop taught by Starfleet's Kirk Fu manual, the Gorn will pursue the offending party in an effort to make them pay for their crimes against podcasting. However, if we win, we plan on using one of the recipes in Dayton Ward's Jurassic World cookbook to make some tasty Gorn burgers. They seem like an acceptable substitute for that ever-hard-to-find Velociraptor meat. Uh, thanks again, Dayton. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dayton. Right, thanks for watching, everybody. What if a Velociraptor burger tastes like a turkey burger? Anyway, everything no, tastes like chicken. Everything, everything tastes, like, tastes like everything's chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for watching, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Podcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.